Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for January 22nd, 2017. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, Beloved Community. Our worship and preaching series for this uh, season is printed on the back of your bulletin, Redefining Community. It was prepared by one of my preacher camp colleagues, Reverend Doris Ann Cooper, who's uh, in, in, at Watt Street Baptist in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, last summer, she gave us this series. Um, it's based on the lectionary text for this uh, um, season of the year, and it has affirmed my belief in the lectionary because I, I did not choose the text for today, but I don't know of a better text, a more important text that I could have chosen for today than what Dan just read to you. Paul speaking to the people in Corinth to say, there should be no divisions among you. Three weeks ago, I sat in my house with an Hispanic Muslim woman and an African-American Baptist man, and we talked about a shared concern for a divided nation. And we strategized about a gathering of people of faith and invitation for our city to come together around the angry election of a controversial new president. We talked about the need for honesty an opportunity to give a diverse population a chance to come together to share their hopes and their hurts, their faith and their fears. Now we knew that we could mobilize our crowd, a more progressive interfaith gathering, but we were intent not to create an event that would further polarize our city. The question we have asked so many times before once again became our stumbling block that night. How do we bring the Christian community together? My friend Rose Hamid was active during the presidential campaign. She attended multiple rallies held for Donald Trump. She attended each one bravely wearing her Islamic hijab and carrying a sign offering people a chance to talk to a Muslim. Many of those folks had never met a real live Muslim before. Her offer was genuine and her message was simple. All Muslims are not the same. And like Christians, we are not all terrorists. Out of that experience, Rose conceived this beautiful idea for a service of honesty and prayer for our city. But as we sat together that Sunday night in the family room of my house, we struggled with how to bring Christians together to pray. A Muslim woman sat in the home of a Baptist minister trying to help me figure out a way to unite the Christian church in Charlotte enough just for us to come together and be honest about the convictions and concerns we had over the election and to pray. Rose had already reached out to one of the city's most prominent evangelical leaders, 
a man who has the recognition and respect of thousands in our city. His word alone would give credibility that she, as a Muslim, and that the other Baptist minister and I, as progressive Baptists, could not offer. But he wasn't sure. He needed to think about it. Uh, well, maybe, you know, maybe they could have coffee and get together and maybe they could talk and, well, maybe if he got to know her better, but not, not now. We just wanted to come together to pray, but we could not make it happen. It reminded me of a conversation that I had a year, the, the year our state debated Amendment 1, the legislation banning gay marriage before it was overturned by the Supreme Court. A colleague and I sat on the left side of the lunch table, that's the capital L, left side of the, of the lunch table, and a prominent conservative pastor and one of his colleagues took the right side. We on the left, you know, us crazy liberals had initiated this meeting. We were concerned about the divisions in our city, hostilities that were mounting across the state as that debate took shape. So we put forth a simple question, a suggestion to this pastor, would you participate and would you be willing to help us invite a diversity of Charlotte's clergy to come together we would author a letter that we would publicize. In that letter signed by that diverse clergy, we would simply state that we acknowledge the diversity of opinions and the particularly charged emotion that surrounds issues of sexuality. But as faith leaders, we would call on our congregations to engage their opinions, but to do so in respect and civility. Let us call our members to remember that peace must prevail. Could we bring pastors together to write a letter simply to invite their church members to be nice? That's all we were asking. And I will never forget the response, which obviously shut down our radically liberal idea. The pastor wasn't sure he could participate in that because he said, you know, there are some people in his congregation, he didn't say himself, there are some people in his congregation who might not approve of him, you know, being associated with us. We couldn't make that happen either because there's no unity in the Christian church in Charlotte. When our need for purity trumps the call for community, we are in trouble. And we are in trouble today in this nation because within the church and without, we are being driven by a misguided call for purity, ideological, theological, cultural. Purity is impossible to achieve in a pluralistic culture. But we're getting what we ask for in that culture. We're getting what we asked for when our founding fathers and mothers embarked on an unprecedented project and began building a country that is open to immigrants of every nation and every religion and every language. Because of that intended pluralism that is coming to pass in our very time, 
because of that intended pluralism, purity will not be possible across this nation. It will not even be possible within our own faith tradition as diverse as we are. So purity must not be our goal. Something else will have to hold us together, and it must hold us together. I am not the leader of the free world. I stand before you today just as one of the leaders of one small but free church. My message is simple, though it will not be easy to achieve. I don't know who Bernard Bonneau is, but I agree with him that Christian disunity is a scandal. As the divisions within the American family and the global community become more obvious, if we cannot maintain a commitment to unity here within these walls, as a small family of faith, we will fail the most important example we could set and the most powerful message we could send to our fractured world if, on the other hand, we can continue to walk together and maintain our unity in our diversity. That message will speak far beyond the size of this congregation. Now, history may be working against us, as Dan has just reminded us, since Christianity, from the very beginning, Christian disunity has been visible from the very beginning. I guess we could be a little embarrassed about that, that from the earliest days of, of the Christian community, in the earliest churches, there have been tensions and dissensions and conflict and schism. About half of our New Testament is made up of the letters written to those first Christian churches by the Apostle Paul. The churches had been established by this dynamic convert to the way of Jesus who traveled the ancient world starting churches in Jesus' name. And a good bit of the content of those letters deals with the instruction he sends those churches or scolding he gives them or encouragement to the congregations because practically as soon as he founded the church and went on to start another, the members started fighting with each other over something. I guess we could be embarrassed by that. Some might use that history lesson as a means of critiquing the legitimacy or the integrity of Christianity itself, but I think something more is going on that might explain the tension that has always accompanied Christian community. You see, Christianity is not an intellectual enterprise a philosophical society based on a creed or a code that requires commitment and consent. Buddhism has its eightfold path, Islam its five pillars, Judaism has ten great commandments and its 613 laws. Christianity has only a relationship at its center. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, come follow me. He did not say, agree to all of this. He did not say, memorize that. He just said, follow me. Following Jesus does not entail giving up your independence, checking your brain at the door. It does not mean conforming to a religious order or an ideological agenda. 
So like all democratic experiences, it can and will be messy, untidy at times. The unity should not take away your individuality, your unique opinions, your personal taste. Relationships are difficult. Even a relationship with Jesus is difficult. Living in community will never be easy, but it can also save your life. Martin Luther King Jr., who knew the importance and the power of community, said love is creative and redemptive. The aftermath of the fight fire with fire method is bitterness and chaos. The aftermath of the love method is reconciliation and creation of the beloved community. That phrase, the beloved community, has animated the African community, African-American community ever since. The importance of the corporate voice over the individual voice, the necessity of love over hate, the power of unity in diversity, beloved community. You are beloved community. You are my beloved community. What that means to me is you are frustrating and wonderful. You are my beloved community. Contentious and committed, independent and woven together. You are my beloved community. I need you. And I believe we all need each other, especially today, as our nation is more divided, I think, than it's ever been in my life that I have ever seen. So I need to speak to you personally for just a moment and share a concern that I have never had in the 16 years that Amy and I have been your pastors. Amy and I have always been able to speak freely from this pulpit. It is a charge that we were practically commanded by the search committee who called us here. Challenge us, they said, socially and theologically. It's an open pulpit. You must use it. This is our church's history. This is our ongoing expectation of our pastors. But something changed in this country on November the 8th, 2016. And every single one of our pastoral colleagues is dealing with the frightening, crippling fear of division in their own churches. What can they say from the pulpit and what can they not say? What will their people be able to hear and what will they not be able to hear? None of us has ever dealt with this after a presidential election. None of us has ever dealt with this after a presidential election. But something is different. Just yesterday, Amy read to me a long, labored public apology from one of Charlotte's big steeple pastors. Apparently, he'd gotten in some hot water with something he said. He used the name of the president, quoted him, and he had a long, labored apology that he was posting to try to get himself out of hot water. I've already responded to several emails myself. But you know, pastors 
are supposed to be engaged with the current context. So if as many as four and a half million people can gather in cities around the world, I don't know if you've seen the pictures, it's staggering. From Nairobi, Kenya, to Oslo, Norway, to Buenos Aires, Argentina, Los Angeles, and Chicago, and Washington, D.C., the largest gathering in the history of Charlotte, North Carolina, 25,000 people to march for women's rights because of the concerns related to the last American election. Now, if such a worldwide event with local implications can hit the headlines and we cannot address it from this pulpit, we will have lost something very important, something that has been central to the identity of this church from the very beginning. It's not my voice we will have lost It's not Amy's voice, not our wisdom or our perspective. You've called us to be your pastors. We can only offer one perspective. But what you will miss if we squelch that voice is not our wisdom. It's something much more important than that. We will have lost trust and respect. And we will have lost community. Beloved community. Something is happening across our nation. We've got to be free to speak that concern with you without being accused of preaching party politics. Something is happening across the nation that is bigger than that. It's not about the political party that holds the White House has changed. It's much bigger. It's the same movement. The same fear that has shaken and is now dividing the European Union. It's the same fear that is being felt all around the world because the world is changing. It's getting smaller. And we are going to have to learn to get along with people who are different from us. And if the church cannot set this example, there is no need for the Christian church to exist. If we cannot set the example, the world doesn't need the Christian church. And if Park Road Baptist cannot set an example for the larger church, we will have failed in our specific calling in this community. Beloved community, my beloved community, let there be no divisions among us. I'm not saying you got to agree with everything Russ said. Let us be united in the same mind and the same purpose, which Paul defines as the mind of Christ. Paul did not intend his congregations to line up behind him like little robots, echoing everything he said, parroting the leader's words and beliefs, conforming to some sterile code or some antiquated rule. He simply intended to hold up for them the life of Jesus Christ to show them a life of self-giving love, of conviction revealed in sacrifice, not power. For Christ did not send me, he said, to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel so the cross might be emptied of its power. Now, I'm willing to say this in a way that some Baptists wouldn't be comfortable to say. I'm willing to say the cross of Christ has no power unless you live it. 
Unless you live the example of the cross, the cross is just foolish preaching. Unless we learn to live sacrificially, to take up that cross of self-giving love, to give unconditionally, to take on one another's burdens, unless we learn to live, to love each other enough to give our lives for one another, the cross is foolishness. But if we can learn to live as Jesus lived, to love as Jesus loved, even with the world trembling around us, beloved community, we will have all the unity that we need, and the power of the cross will change the world. May it be so. Amen. Podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.